Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Seth and Nerva here with the Free Mind Podcast. Well, we promised them pietism and pietism. (laughs) They shall have. They shall get, right? Until it's coming out of their ears and nose. They're so tired of pietism <laughs> that you can't even stand we'll the, the sound of, of the word anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but uh, we do want to do a couple more uh, here just because, like I said last time, it's such an important topic. You know, it's one of those topics uh, that I think doesn't get addressed often. We don't even know what's going on in the culture okay. around us. But it's, like I said, one of those main contributing factors to the kind of evangelical world we swim in, the water we swim in, and, and it's good to know what it is, and it's good to test it biblically. And uh, today, we started listening to this podcast the other day, uh, new one I had never heard of, so I actually want to highly recommend this podcast. Um, let me see if I can pull it up here for you guys. Uh, it is actually called The Hard Men Podcast, and it's just... You know, it's a guy named Eric Kahn, and he's just just basically talking about biblical masculinity a lot. But it's got a lot of similar um, topics to what we talk about here at Free Mind. So he was interviewing a guy named P. Andrew Sandlin, who uh, has written a book that we were doing in our Sunday mm-hmm. school class called Creational Worldview. And thought it was such a good interview. We, we kind of just had a, started having conversation on it. So we thought, let's just make a podcast out of this and yeah. add it to the mix. Is that Great right book, you, by man? the way, Creational Worldview. Yes, yes, You want to pick yes. that up. It's a good book. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And so um, we're going to pop into this here. But before we do, if you don't mind, go on and subscribe on the YouTube channel. Ayo. Uh, or if wherever you do your podcasting uh hit the subscribe hit button. Like. We, we still have Patreon, you know, it, we were, we, we went off grid for a while, uh, but we still have some, uh, some faithful witnesses. And Thank you guys. <laughs> uh, yet Thank holding you so on. Uh, but honestly it does, you know, I joked about your diamond earrings last time, um, but it's really a diamond ring. She wants to, up. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but That's no, it helps us, uh, just, it, if you want to co-labor with us, uh, help us with this podcast. We have obviously been able to, to do a little bit better with our equipment here, as you can see, uh, help with our lighting, all that kind of good stuff. That's because you guys have helped us out. But also we have like subscriptions we have to pay for every yeah. month. That's the kind of stuff the money tends to go towards. So if you want to help out with that and help us get the word out a little bit more and, and uh, you know, pay them, pay them preachers with sneakers fees when we have the guests on our show. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, we gotta have them high dollar bills for uh, some of these guests we have on, you know. Yikes. So, but uh, now here we go. We're gonna uh, pop on this real okay. quick. Check this out. I think that's huge, especially as as we begin to unpack this um, this concept, the concept of Pietism, is that really a lot of people today, pastors included, basically just want to address Christianity in the church. This is something Joe Boot has called churchianity. Um, and, and right, what we're claiming is that scripture is for all of life in every area of life. And so this cultural theology is seeking to apply it um, in all of these other contexts. What would you say to pastors and people in the church today? I'm sure you probably get this, but a lot of people have talked a lot about this gospel-centered theology. Basically, we only want to talk about soteriology or, you know, the doctrine of the atonement or something like that. Why is some of that problematic? So just, you know, you hear that a lot, 
kind of like we're a gospel-centered church or we're a gospel-centered ministry. Sometimes you'll even hear in the context of culture wars and political conversations, well, you know, we need to stick to the gospel. We need yeah. to be about the gospel. So kind of open it up with that question here. Yeah, and you could take for granted that you say the gospel is for all of life, but it, it could mean all of my life. Yeah. Just my personal life. It's all of my personal life, or for all of life. Right. Speaking generally, yeah. Wherever your sphere of influence is, yeah, yeah. So it's important to yeah, yeah to define that. what is the gospel, and then in what way, if you say we're gospel centered, what yes. do you mean by centered? You know, all those kinds Good of questions arise from that. So. Good stuff. Whenever people say you need to get back to the gospel, and we need gospel centered churches, I always tell them I agree wholeheartedly, but I'm not sure that you understand the full extent of the gospel. Mm. Uh, the gospel is the evangel, you and Gilead, it can't be reduced to soteria or soteriology. Mm. Uh, the gospel is the good news of how God in Jesus Christ and his atoning death and his glorious resurrection and his present session and his present reign, how God in Jesus Christ is incrementally turning back evil in all areas of life and thought. That in a short space and summary form is the gospel. Uh, unfortunately, the gospel, the evangel, has been reduced to soteria, which is my personal salvation and uh, flowing out of that my personal sanctification and then going to heaven when I die. That certainly is an aspect and a vital aspect of the gospel, but it certainly doesn't exhaust the gospel. So in so, you know, here Sandlin takes, there's a, there's a book uh, called The Gospel of the Kingdom. I think it's George, George Elder Ladd or Eldon Ladd. Uh, you know what? I wish I could, I should pull that up on my Kindle. But um, anyways, it's, it's a really good book because if you notice that often in the New Testament, like he talked about the evangel, uh, he used the Greek word. I can't remember how to pronounce it, so I won't try, but how it's often the, the good news of the kingdom. It's, it's cashed out like that and they went and preached the gospel of the kingdom so uh lad actually yeah it's that one right there um is a lad george yeah the gospel of the kingdom i can't see his name george on there Eldon lad, yeah. lad yeah so he really goes in in depth on that goes into the the background of the term what does kingdom mean what okay. does gospel meaning he connects that and he takes a similar view to sandlin that when you when when the New Testament uses the gospel, it's not really talking about it in the narrow sense that we often think about it, which is just, yes, you know, the, the justification from Jesus wired to us so that we go to, to heaven when we die. That's a central feature of the gospel of the kingdom, but it also includes, it, it expands a little further out than that. Now, if there are going to be some people that are less comfortable with broadening the definition of the gospel to that. Um, and you do want to be careful to make sure you don't let law or works slip into whatever your definition is of the gospel, because mm -hmm. that's going to, you know, put you into heresy territory. So wherever you draw it, I would just say this, if you draw it to the really, really narrow space where you're just basically saying the gospel is the good news of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And that applied to me when I put my faith in him yeah. so that I go to heaven when I die. And that's it. If you want to say that's my systematic theology definition of the gospel, 
I'm fine with that. But then if you do that, you need to understand the Great Commission is broader than that. Ooh, okay. So that's fine if you want to understand that. Because remember the Great Commission, he yeah. says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus speaking. Uh, therefore, go, okay. you know, uh, make, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything I have commanded. Ooh. So if you define the gospel in kind of that really, really, let's call yeah. it narrow one way. Um, yeah, it's soteriology. And even that narrowly defined as you know justification heaven when i die maybe regeneration added in there as well that's fine but just understand the great commission and what we're called to is going to be broader than than just preaching the gospel if that's how you're defining it but sandlin and lad are going to expand that definition and i think you know i'll leave that to you guys to study out what what that means in the new testament context but i just want to make that clarification Anyways, what CCL and groups like Ezra and others uh, are doing is calling people back to the gospel. We do want a gospel-centered faith, but that's not the same as soteria or a soteriologically-centered faith. And soteriology, the study of salvation, you know, soteria. Big word, just in case. I think it's Greek word is soteria that gets translated salvation, but y'all can check me on that. Um, it, Joe Boot, a huge fan of his work as well. He's a, he's in Canada. He used to be with RZIM a long time. I remember we got to hear him speak uh, at Wheaton, Wheaton. Okay, yeah. many, many moons ago. Um, and Ezra Institute, that's an amazing organization. I feel like I'm just telling you guys all this different stuff, but these are these are great resources that I draw from, that we draw from together. So, Yeah, I think that's a really helpful distinction. Now, would you see, do you think the gospel-centered stuff you know, the gospel coalition, that sort of, that sort of movement. Do you think it was flowing out of pietism or do you think pietism came from it or or what's the relationship? No, uh, I think it did flow out of pietism. There's a long history of, of that in uh, American evangelicalism. There have been professed evangelicals in the 19th century, for example, the abolitionists and so on that did apply the faith and culture, but I would say by and large, and particularly in the 20th century, evangelicalism has been heavily influenced by pietism. And so for them, the evangel is largely reduced to soteria. So that's interesting too, right? That some of the abolitionists, the people that got involved in you know, opposing culture. slavery were actually pietists. Some of them were, but he would probably say you know, that, that was, it, it was more of an exception to the rule because okay. for the most part, you know, and that's what we look back sometimes on the pietists that didn't get involved in Germany in resisting Hitler or didn't get involved in opposing the kind of chattel slavery that was going on here and all the abuses. And we look back at them and think, man, that was wrong. You know, oftentimes if we're in, in, in our right space. Um, but what he's saying is sometimes uh, some of the pietists did get involved and they were inconsistent in that way. Whereas we talked about uh, John Piper on that uh, bonus episode and how he was actually consistently yeah. pietistic. And so, I'm, yes, I'm thankful for the inconsistent pietists. And we see that a lot even now, like people who are starting to get involved in politics, but they don't quite know what to do with it because they do have this pietistic framework. But they just, they know that something has to be done. Mm-hmm. So they're jumping in. Yeah. You know, so weird. And there are groups, uh, the um, Gospel Coalition that began with a desire to stress the reformational elements of soteriology and the church and the family. Uh, That was the vision of um, D.A. Carson and Tim Keller that started it. Yeah. Um, By not, in my view, one reason that they have little by little begun to incorporate false ideas like uh, critical race theory and various others 
is because from the beginning they were not committed to a full-orbed gospel, full-orbed faith. By the way, you would tend to see that, the history of that, and largely in the Dutch Calvinism of the 19th century with Abraham Kuyper. Yeah. And in the 20th century with uh, Hermann Duyeveerd and then uh, Dutch uh, Hermann Bovink and then Van Til and people like that. They understood, uh, and of course they've had a large influence on me, they understood that the faith must be very broad and comprehensive, just as the gospel is. Yeah, I think that's hugely important. Um, and, it, and it brings us kind of the, the, the main crux of this episode. And I want to ask you, where did this pietism come from historically and then sort of how it made its way to be so prominent here in America? So this again, we talked about that last time a little bit, like where did this come from? Um, and it's interesting that he brings up uh, Kuiper again. Remember back to Jared Longshore's The Three Things, mm-hmm. he reformed Kuiperianism. So a lot of these guys have been influenced um, by Kuiper. And, and also Calvin, he kind of, uh, people have argued in his institutes, he laid out sort of a lot of this framework then was, that was later picked up by the Dutch Calvinists, as they're calling it. One of our favorite, though, is Francis Schaeffer, right? And uh, I think it was you that found his... Uh, the how then should we live remember somebody you were doing a session with somebody in Nashville. yeah he gave me the book he said hey this would be great a great read and, and it kind of sat awesome. for a while right on the right. shelf we didn't even know, you know we were people like give we you know. books and you're like yeah i'll get to it and then finally i pick it up and it was like wow riveting but yeah. then there his um teachings on the chapters you can find on youtube and they're really really good if you don't have time to read the whole book it's real concise and just riveting he walks through yeah. history making a case for the christian um worldview and that if you you know the comparing christianity to the humanistic approach yes. to living and and the pros and cons of each just powerful stuff yeah when you listen to schaefer i was saying i was talking to someone else the other day about him and i was saying how it looks it, you would think he wrote it this week oh like, yes it's so relevant right it's now so amazing dealing with the media dealing with yeah, art man. culture music all of it so it's good stuff it's, yeah because he thinks worldviewishly and again like it, it depend on how you define the gospel even if if you define it in that narrow way you need to understand then that the christian worldview is broader than that and the implications at the very least of the gospel should impact every part of life yeah it's uh, the the pietistic movement actually began in germany uh, in the 17th century the second half uh in fact really the last quarter of the 17th century with the noted german lutheran Philip Spainer. Um, so it began in Lutheranism. It began uh, with good intentions, as a lot of uh, movements <laughs> do, against yeah. the sort of cold, hard, dead uh, orthodoxy in Lutheranism at the time. The Lutherans would just argue scholastically over every little distinction. And this was also true of many of the Reformed. Isn't that funny? Yes. How, you, know, <laughs> you have that today, those organizations that are like yeah, waiting for you to say something wrong or heretical and they make a big article about you. Those, you know, those extreme versions of being sure. sound. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> for sure. And I think, yeah, it's it's so easy to get off, right? It's sure. like we, we've watched that, what was that Luther movie? Remember the uh, 
I forget who was the actor in it, but uh, the play as well that was really good. Yeah, I forget the name of those mm-hmm. people as well. But you see the reformation that was needed in the church, mm. and then that happens. But it's like, man, we it, it goes we off. Go you know, far. it goes off the rails, and this goes off the rails this way. So we're always in that need to get back. You know, to be drawn back, and and need to be have our minds washed and transformed. It's like that hymn says, "I'm prone to wander." Under. I think our institutions yeah. and our we're you know even those as they get structured, they're prone to wander and we always have to be reforming. That's, that's the part of the reformation. That's great. Is like, it holds the scripture up as the key, not, not mere tradition, not just because we've always done it this way or because it has the name Lutheran on it, whatever happens to it has to be put up against the Bible as the plumb line. Mm. And I love that part of the Protestant reformation. And that's what we want to continue to come back to whenever anything we're a part of gets off. So Spainer wrote a book uh, and started a movement emphasizing the importance of Christians working together and personal piety and uh, just reading the Bible and caring for one another and private Bible studies and one's vertical relationship with the Lord. Uh, Of course, that of itself is not wrong. We certainly do need zealous Christians and we don't need to be fighting about secondary issues. Over time, however, this pietism, and it began to impact... um, not just the Lutherans, but the Reformed, and in, their, in its own way, the Anglicans. In fact, I would say the Roman Catholics also had their version of it. It wasn't through this stream. But nonetheless, among Protestants, it eventually and gradually uh, reduced to the idea that the only thing that's really important in the Christian life is my uh, heart relationship, my vertical relationship to God, and my horizontal relationship with individual Christians. What was lost was any idea of Christendom and Christian culture and reshaping all of life to the glory of God. Again, I know we're beating beating a dead horse, but I just want to keep beating it here. Because, you know, that's great, right? We talked about how easy it is to get cold in our walk with the Lord. And even Alvin Plantiga, one of the most, like, if you ever read his books, I, I so appreciate him as a philosopher. Uh, Christian, he's an evangelical, probably one of the greatest thinkers of our time. When you read his books on philosophy, it's like reading a long math equation. He's so dry and so analytic. Um, but even um, him, he talked about the need to have the affections redeemed. Oh boy! And so it, I, I think that we're not, you know, in critiquing Pietism or the, at least this aspect of Pietism, we're not critiquing the idea of piety. Mm, and the fact good. that we need to be warm toward the Lord and that we need to have, like, it's understand so good, we are whole yeah. beings. We're not this stoic kind of thing. But again, like we pointed out last time, it's doing that to the exception of understanding Christendom and Christian culture and that we're supposed to have an impact and be salt and light and have an effect on the structures in the world as well as have our affections redeemed. And, you know, someone said this the other day, maybe in this podcast, so I apologize if I'm being redundant here, but he talked about the need to redeem the intellect. And that's something we don't often hear of. And part of that is redeeming how we think and the way we think and how we view the world. And that is part of sanctification as well. If you want to grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. 
Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it, and we'll see you this summer. That uh, even modern evangelicalism, which began probably in England, largely had that pietistic impulse. Yeah. Of course, Wesley was in the uh, 18th century, uh, 19th century, and then and his influence into the 19th century. And then you had even good Calvinists like Whitfield and others that were really good men. But over time, this evangelicalism uh, developed into the idea that the 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 agenda for the Christian life is being right with God personally, having your own quiet time, getting prayers answered, going to church, having a strong Bible-believing church, uh, getting other people converted. There's the evangel, and often it's the used language of getting souls saved, bringing them into the church, and sort of living a godly life and preparing for heaven. The problem is not so much in what it affirmed as in what it either denied or dismissed. Mm. Again, yeah, that's that's the key. Yeah. So we want to affirm all those things Absolutely. that those guys were trying to bring in to correct some of the things, including the the primacy of conversion. Like that is key. Like huge. you, yeah. the, none of these guys in the Reformed Kyperian camp are arguing that you do a runaround evangelism and just try to force Christian culture on an unredeemed world. It's always bottom up, and and as we get into the details, we'll understand how that works. Um, but yeah, that's that's always got to be the key. It starts with true conversion, coming into the kingdom, but it just doesn't limit it to that. Ooh, Does that so make good. sense? Yeah, I parallel that to um, worship and how big worship is today. I think people have deduced worship to singing and song and music, and your worship leader solely by being a, a good singer or a, um, a person that can just emotionally emote and move the crowd into yeah. thinking about God. And it's so much bigger than that. Yeah. So no, yeah. for sure. It's, it's easy to, yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy to get in that kind of reductionistic mindset, um, with those elements. And, and that's part of the flow, right? Like it the, is. the tide, we always talk about being on the beach and you just you don't notice where you're at, and you look back, and your oh stuff's gosh. like a mile right. down because it just it just takes you. It has yeah. a way of taking you. So it's good to pause. We're not saying you, those things aren't important either. We're just right. saying it's way more broad and yes. way more comprehensive than that. Yeah, exactly. And it dismissed the older uh, Puritan and uh, more broadly Christian version of Christendom and Christian culture of all of life under the authority of God. And his word, the whole idea of a Christian society. When I say that, I don't mean everybody in the society was Christian. I mean Christian truth suffusing all areas of life and thought. That's a good distinction, too. So when he's talking about Christendom or Christian society, he's not saying, you know, people will talk about a time when it was Christian or a nation that's Christian. Typically, if they're thoughtful in that, they don't mean like everybody was Christian because that'll be sometimes the response. Okay. Well, I know people that were, yeah, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Christian truth infused Ooh. all of the structures and all the thought patterns the of the society, of, okay. the fabric of it. And that is like we are we are meant to, 
to help toward that. It's leavening because God is the one, the source of, of proper law, for instance. So you want just laws that reflect the way he made things because mm-hmm. things run better. You know, when you have a good king, was that uh, that scripture that says the people rejoice, you mm-hmm. know, and, and and that's because the things work properly when you when things are going according to their design. Um, that work properly, whether at an individual level or a structural level. That's what is lost. And in many ways, pietism is the antithesis of that vision that I just said. Yeah, that that's really important to point out. Um, in terms of effect as you see it today, I mean, as you're describing that, I'm thinking like, okay, this is like every Baptist evangelical church that I grew up in, basically. Right, right. And, and I think... What I've noticed as well is it's particularly hard on masculinity and men because this form of pietism, right, it tends to be pretty emotionalistic. Um, Most men are hardwired to, like, I want to build culture. I want to be involved in my vocation. I think wealth matters in the terms of the kingdom. But most of this pietism, correct me if I'm wrong, is generally about, you know, wealth doesn't matter. Um, Even what you do in your job doesn't matter. Boy. it's just about, do you have a good relationship with Jesus? And oftentimes the way they view it is if things are horrible for you, you're poor, you're persecuted, things are going in a, in a terrible fashion. It's almost seen as like, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. Before oh, Salmon answers that. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> I mean, you see it, you feel it, you sense it. There's yeah. a lack of, I don't know vigor, strength, and just take yeah. the gates kind of mentality. It's more like retreat. The world's going to pot and, and it's okay as long as we're saved and it's yeah. souls and there's no, um, I'm not going to say no, but you, you just kind of sense that yeah. in the water that um, there is, that, that it's, you wonder why so many leaders in the church and some churches are majority led by women. A lot of the um, movements, a lot of the things, it's like girls are, are leading this and that. I remember going through that. Um, some of my previous churches, like, right. where are the men? Where are the strong yeah, men? That, that's if you ever do right? church uh, leadership conference, like they'll always have oh. seminars on where are the men? How do we get the men involved? Oh boy. And you know, there, I think that is a byproduct of what he's talking about. So pietism Yikes. itself uh, set up this kind of structure where you take away a major part of what men were designed to do. Um, and building culture and taking ground and kind of this active, um, strong lion warrior side of God. And that's what, when sometimes people talk about the feminization of the church, okay. that this is, they're getting at that. And that's why it does lend itself toward, you know, the more of the nurturing aspect and more of the emotional aspect. And that even bleeds over into the worship, right? We were talking about that Ooh. of like, you know, you have... <laughs> I still remember actually Joe Boot. That's funny because this is this is a way. This is probably I don't know before we got married actually when we did that. So it must have been sixteen, seventeen years ago. And remember, I don't know if you remember this, but he was going off on modern worship and just talking about how girly it was, and he was using much more choice <laughs> words. But um, okay. that is that is something to think about, you know, because that that has become the height of mm. Christianity in in modern um, American evangelicalism is like, man, we're just trying to work people up into a lather, even to the point where oftentimes like on stage, we even look feminine as guys just do it like in our, our mannerisms and everything. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Because worship is, is so transformational and it'll shape you. And so if you're attending a service week after week, where it's that kind of expression, it gets on you and it wears on you think that's what 
yeah. worship is, this emotive, which is important. Yeah, like you said, you want... Like, I think true worship, and yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. you. Get, you I think um, tr- true worship will often have emotion as a byproduct, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, we tend to aim for that first yes. <laughs> instead of our thoughts lifted up to God yes. for who he truly is yes. and let those emotions follow as opposed to just, oh, it's just time for worship and it's. You know, anyway, the reverse. No, it's funny. (laughs) Interesting stuff. We we could probably do a whole podcast on that. that. Because basically a lot of our songs are like you could replace Jesus with baby. You just have a top 40 song, you know what I'm saying? And and you try to work up this kind of weird emotion. And as a guy, you're like, man, this is awkward. This feels crazy, you know. So I think uh, good good stuff they're pointing out here. Um, I think I, in fact, I wrote on that, I think a couple weeks ago in Culture Change on, um, I use the expression persecution porn. Uh, people who just uh, long for persecution as an indictment or a proof nice. of their spirituality. Uh, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. You're also right to say that this evangelicalism, though unintentionally, is uh, surprisingly and sadly well-suited to an ecclesiastical version of modern feminism. Interesting. Uh, because uh, men do tend to have, uh, and women too, in their own way, in their own sphere, but have this dominion uh, impulse in them. And uh, I think what modern evangelicalism does is try to tamp down on that, try to... So (laughs) dominion, you know, that's back to the creational mandate or the cultural mandate, as sometimes it's called in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. God designed men and he designed women to work in partnership in that. So women have a certain aspect that by and large they're wired to run households in their certain capacities and men, you know, the, the gatherer, the fighter, the, the protector, that kind of thing. And so what he's saying is really in, in the modern church, they're, they're trying to dampen, uh, maybe not trying to, but yeah. because of this theology, they're yeah. dampening both. Ooh, we dismiss it, try to uh, redirect it into warm emotional feelings and uh, relationalism and so on. Uh, these are qualities that are good qualities that are primarily tend to be seen in uh, women, and women do them very well, and thank God for that. Uh, it'd be terrible if we had a world right. without women. In fact, if we Come didn't have somebody. women, we wouldn't have a world. <laughs> hey. So that's, that's not right. the issue. Um, but you're right. Uh, this evangelicalism, and that's why evangelicalism is sort of predominant, increasingly dominated by women and churches are and that's why the whole issue in my view the whole issue of evangelical preachers and teachers has come up lately it's no surprise it should have it's just sort of the logical outworking of this uh, highly feminized uh, conceptual premise within evangelicalism that's been around for decades yeah yeah that's exactly right i'm curious too andrew the other areas in which you've seen pietism shape both the church, but then, but then look at American culture. Um, one of the things that I've noticed um, is that you know you had guys like Ray Ortland recently on Twitter, who has actually said you know Bible Belt culture is dying, and I rejoice at this. So that's a that's a thing you'll commonly hear too. And so we, I, I believe we were talking about this the other day, but you know it, it, there's a part of that I used to say that too, like coming out of like a Christian area, oh man, Christian culture, you kind of demean it because what you experience sometimes in Christian culture, quote unquote, is 
Christian principles infused, but people who are hypocritical to it, right? Or they lose, like you have nominal Christianity, and sometimes that can feel okay. like more yuck on the surface because you have this supposed standard that people are faking oh like they're like they're acting like so not only do you add not only do you have that sin but you have the hypocrisy with it which sometimes okay. can look worse it's that's like heartbreaking you know yeah. you have a you have a guy that's a uh, just awful morally but then you have a priest who you find out is awful morally and mm. there's something that seems worse about that right sure um so I think that, you know, you have those Ray Ortland statements uh, like that. And that's kind of the big Eva push. Like you'll, you'll hear guys that say, man, let Christian culture die. They'll, they'll, they'll rah, rah for being in Seattle or Portland or in San Francisco like we were in. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem is I don't think they – I think that's a bit of a naive view because okay. even while like, yeah, the ideal isn't – a Christian culture full of non-Christians or a Christian culture full of uh, carnal Christians. That's not the ideal. The ideal is a Christian culture that has a large amount of Christians in it as well. And yeah, you're going to have some people in it that, you know, or this and that, but there, there is a great thing to that. And there have been times where cultures have been like that and it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you, what those folks often don't realize is they like certain areas that seem post-Christian because of the Christian parts that they're still holding on to. the roots. Yes. And so, you know, I think what happens more times than not is like you have someone that's like, man, I'll take, I'll take Portland over an area in Tennessee Mm -hmm. because at least they're real. Right. Or they're more loving than Christians. You'll hear that kind of thing often. But what happens is they don't understand. No, they're just more loving toward people who agree that with agree them. with them. <laughs> and so wait, and I wait, think we're seeing give it that. Time, right? Yeah, we're seeing that <laughs> okay. in this season now. They also don't understand that when they're still borrowing from and living off the fumes of that Christian past, where we still have our liberties, we still have freedom of religion, we still have um, freedom of speech. I'm, I'm saying have we've had it it's it's increasingly <laughs> diminishing yeah. um but those basic principles that have allowed the so-called progressives to maintain this kind of life where they can pick and choose what their tolerance and what their love will be but like now that we're seeing the real effects of secularism take root mm. uh, that that like folks like ortland and other big eva advocates need to need to come to terms with that like what's happening in australia right now Ooh. like w- once you have godlessness takes over in the in the realm of principles you lose everything you have communist russia you have hitler's Germany, Germany. Like that is the outwork okay. of the death of Christian culture. That's what they don't realize. Like you're, you remember, it's not whether you'll have a God of the state, it's which. And right now we're in the, they like the in-between on the way, maybe from There's Christian culture, but they don't yeah. understand that once you, the closer then, you get to that destination of statism, the more it's absolute dystopia. Wow. And this idea, this naive idea, like, oh, yeah, yeah, let Christian culture die and and we'll just, you know, then it'll be even set people up better to receive the gospel. It's just it's naive and foolish, I think. And I've, I've changed my view on that now, too. Like, instead of, like, bashing Christian culture and saying, you know, I'd, I'd rather not have that. I think it, it, it still gives you the framework to do even evangelism even easier oftentimes. Um, but also, even if it didn't, um, I think what we have to understand is is receive the 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 blessing of that 
but not be content with nominal Christianity within that mm, and, and do ooh, our best to challenge people and help them understand why they can even live th- that kind of life. And, and yeah, so that's just my little mm, rant so on good. that. Um, so let's keep on. So there's an interplay here, though, right, between the way pastors are acting toward the culture and then where the culture is at. So, again, just how do you see pietism affecting American culture in that way? Yeah, uh, it's interesting you would say that about Ortland. I've also, and probably, I think, writing for this Friday uh, in response to and critique of an article yesterday that uh, the conservative and PCA writer David French put out in which he attacked Christendom. And he said Christendom needs to die. Yeah. Sort of similar to Ortland's idea about the death of the Bible Belt. I think that pietism, essentially, because it reduces the faith to a sort of vertical relationship to God, a heart relationship to God, or sort of warm relationships among church members, and totally neglect the cultural aspects of the faith, it tends to put a high premium on these particular qualities of warm and uh, and kindness, and uh, in some ways, what one theologian called pious gush, yeah. uh, rather than the rather than the qualities, the very aggressive. Uh, uh, and, and saying aggressive, I don't mean unkind, and uh, combative, but uh, aggressive qualities uh, that are necessary to be a warrior and uh, a soldier for the king and taking back our culture. Of course, yeah, and that's a good point too, right? I think that goes along with that idea is like we love, you know, Big Eva. This is perfect Big Eva right now. We love the soft virtues. Yeah, the kindness, the meekness. Just uh, lay down your arms at all costs. Just yeah. no rights. you yeah. just a mere Christian and, and, and pietism is is on the throne and you have no say over just tyrannical kind of takeovers and things like that. It's all right. Jesus is returning. He's coming soon, which he is, but that's the stance it seems. Yeah. And it's, it's at best, it's like a one sided virtue scale. Like they don't like the strong virtues. Like he was saying, like the kind that you would need in a warrior, the kind of Jesus as the lion and the King and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like a, it's like a church that only likes the pictures of Jesus, you know, where he's like this with the, with the sheep around his neck, which is, that is part of Jesus. You know, he is the good shepherd. He is is kind. He is compassionate. But I think we're getting like, like I said, so just that one side. So you don't get a full picture of somebody. It's so in that way it is distorted. And you know, it's interesting because I I think of David who fought Goliath and it's like, you read that story and it's almost like we forget about that. We we rejoice over the fact that he saved the nation that day and he didn't do it with just mere prayer. He went out there and fought the giant to the victory of, of the Israelites. And so those are things to kind of ponder. Even Pharaoh facing, I mean, sorry, Moses facing Pharaoh, speaking truth to power. Yeah. That took courage. Oh, yeah. And it took boldness. Um, yeah, man. Against Everything. the fear, against the flow. I honestly so, yeah. think if, if, if you if you just were completely imbibed in like uh, modern evangelicalism, you just take it in and you went and for the first time read the Old Testament, you'd be like, this is a different religion. Right. <laughs> and different God altogether. if yeah. you didn't read, if you read all of the New Testament, 
you'd say the same thing. Oh, like you can gosh. only pick out pieces um, and, and get away with that kind of evangelicalism, mm-hmm. that kind of Christianity um, is because it is distorted. You know, you look at Ananias and Sapphira and Acts, you look at Jesus, you know, tell Herod that Fox, you look at John the Baptist, you look at Jesus in the book of Revelation, you look at the Apostle Paul, how he taught to people, they would think this dude wasn't even saved. And so that says more about us than it does about yeah. the Bible. And then we tend to look at God with those, just that narrow lens. Like, yeah. you know, if I remember being in a group, I won't say where because I don't want to give it away, but like we all went around and shared what God was to us that particular season. And everyone tended to say, oh, he's comforter, he's peace, he's, um, which he is those things. Yeah. But no one said he is my uh, deliverer, mm. my protector, my fighter, my my shield, you know, yeah, things man. like that. We forget that, um, yeah, those are qualities of God. Those For are sure. attributes of God. And yep. so there's just a heavy emphasis on just and retreat. Yeah, on yeah. retreat. And I think it's even getting more like now, like meekness, as far as I understand it, it's like power restrained. Mm. But now it's almost like we've even traded that for weakness. Mm. And so the messages now you hear was like, you know, it's, it's all oh, I'm, 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 I'm strong and weakness. And Paul, you know, did talk about that, but he meant something very specific by it and often not what we mean by it today. Today, we mean like if we're caught in habitual sin, oh, that's my weakness. And that, yeah. you know, in that God is glorified. Well, that's mm. not really, you know, what he was talking about. But it's just it is funny that we're going further and further into such a distortion of the whole picture of God and the whole picture of the Trinity that I think, it, again, it would be hard for you to read the Bible. And that's yeah. why I think we're getting a lot of the ex-evangelicals. I saw an article on that, people that are leaving the faith, leaving evangelicalism, often for progressive Christianity, sometimes for okay. uh, full-on atheism. But, you know, part of what led them to that, this article said, was just the fact that they started reading the Bible. Wow. <laughs> I and see. It, and, and it just that, opened their like, eyes I'm head. like, yeah, because honestly, like, if if... I think a lot of modern evangelicalism is so far from the Bible mm. that if you're like, man, if that's what I'm supposed to be in, that's not me. <laughs> so they probably didn't even really leave uh, wow. current evangelicalism sure, so much. With, yeah, um, just, a, just a slightly different permutation of it. So anyways, uh, yeah, let's keep, keep on. I don't here. believe that taking back our culture is a legitimate calling. They think that detracts from the true calling, which is building the church and getting everybody ready for heaven. Right. Um, I that's a fundamental conceptual difference that I have with them, and it's no wonder we would disagree on these other issues because we disagree on what God is doing in the world. That's yeah. really a question that needs to be asked. What is God doing in the world? For most evangelicals, He is calling out a people, His elect people. If they're Calvinists, His elect people. If not, uh, Arminians, it's more get as many people converted as you can and get them into church and get them living a godly life as we prepare for uh, an eternity away from this earth and eternity in heaven. I th- and if they mm-hmm. Pentecostal like I grew up, <laughs> get them saved, sanctified, <laughs> filled with the Holy Ghost. Ghost. <laughs> uh, nah, but he's, he's hitting on something yeah. that, you know, I think Ooh. all of our versions, you know, whatever background you come from, are so um, impacted by that pietism that that just becomes the whole the whole thing. And anything that gets in the way of that, including upsetting the culture, ruffling 
cultural feathers by getting involved in LGBT debate or critical mm-hmm. race theory debate or anything like that, that's going to be a distraction from our only calling, which is rescuing souls from the from the pit of hell, you know. Ooh. And so that needs to be our question: like, is what is God doing? Of course, that's at the center. Is He doing other things than that 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 call us as a duty to get involved? So, um, well, we're going to keep going through this. Uh, we're going to just throw up a, a few episodes this week. I go a little bit off page, uh, so we we'll hopefully get you guys part two uh, just in a couple days here maybe even part three we'll see how fast we can get through this but thank you for spending this time with us on this episode and we will see you soon